Welcome to the Modern Classrooms Project podcast. Each week, we bring you discussions with educators on how they use blended, self-paced, and mastery-based learning to better serve their students. We believe teachers learn best from each other, so this is our way of lifting up the voices of leaders and innovators in our community. This is the Modern Classrooms Project podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 99 of the Modern Classrooms Project podcast. My name is Tony Rose Deannon, she, her pronouns, and I'm a community engagement manager here at MCP. I am joined by one of my favorite people on this planet and hands down, probably one of my earliest mentors in the education field, and that was year five of teaching for me, Deidre Fogarty. So Deidre was also my instructional coach while I taught middle school English in DC, and I am just the biggest fan. So Deidre is the founder of Black Girls Teach, and she creates the realist PD for teachers and creates spaces for Black women in education. Welcome, Deidre. Thank you. Happy to be here. It's so exciting to be in this space with you, and thank you so much for saying yes to the podcast. Before we get started, how are you feeling today? I am feeling really good. I'm actually, my family came to visit me this weekend, um, so it was nice to be able to see them, and yeah, I'm just, I'm excited that it's Monday, and the week is, the weather's beautiful, so I'm just, I'm feeling really good. I love that, that you're excited for it to be a Monday, because I don't think anyone is, Deidre. (laughs) (laughs) Um, All right, well, so tell us more about who you are and how you started your education journey. Okay, so um, as Tony said, my name is Deidre. My pronouns are she, her. Um, I am originally from Bridgeport, Connecticut, and I actually started my education journey probably back in high school. Um, I started working at like an after-school program, and it was the first time where I had felt like I actually was really good at something. I had a boss who was a Black woman educator. She was a, a college student, and she managed the after-school program, and um, she would just let me know, like, wow, like, you're doing such a good job, like, really just affirming me, um, and it made me feel very much like, oh, okay, this is something that I'm actually really good at, and so from there, I was working um, at summer camps as well, and then I made the decision where it's like, okay, I'm going to become a teacher, so I applied to University of Connecticut, and they had a really strong education program, and so um, got into their school of education, graduated with my bachelor's and master's degree in elementary education from there, and then eventually decided, okay, I want to leave Connecticut moved to Maryland with one of my friends and started my teaching career in Baltimore City Public Schools. And that was back in 2006. Um, And so, yeah, that was my journey. It always was from a place of just wanting to, I knew that children, all children deserve to have like a amazing teacher. And so I know that for me, that meant that I wanted to be that amazing teacher. Um, And I guess I would say like from the beginning of my career, I just didn't I didn't realize, I realized some inequities that I would see in education, but it didn't really, didn't really hit me until I actually became a, um, a teacher in the classroom in Baltimore and the rest of the, like my professional teaching journey. And so that's how I started my teaching career. I just also really love that, you know, you had that mentor that you could look up to and have those conversations with who, and kept it real with you, right? Yeah. Because I think sometimes we, we don't necessarily have that. 
Um, and so that's really great that you had that in high school. Um, also, listeners, I know that you heard Deidre call me Tony. That is a very special endearment name that I used to go a while back. Um, and so only special people are able to call me Tony. <laughs> really? What do, what do people call you? Um, so I've, I've shifted to Tony Rose, actually, Deidre. I did not know that. Okay, I'm going to use Tony Rose. No, it is all good because it shows like different parts of my life. Um, so I actually embrace that. So people who, um, are just learning about me or, you know, meeting me, they, 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 they call me by Tony Rose. Um, but people who have known me for a long time call me Tony. And I actually really like that differentiation. So mm, okay, you are more than okay. welcome to call me Tony. I, I actually like that you do because that was again, a time in my life where, um, that was what I was going by. So, but thank you for sharing just a little bit of your background. Um, I, Love that you started out with Baltimore City Public Schools. Um, it's probably one of my favorite um, experiences that I've had because it really taught me so much about education itself. Um, and so thank you for sharing that. And and so let's let's shift gears, right? So tell us more about Black Girls Teach. Like, what does this entail? How did you come up with it? Um, I I remember when you first started it. So I'll just let the listeners hear from you. Yeah, I mean, it started from a time where I was really just, feeling all over the place in my career. Um, you know, as you had mentioned, like I was uh, an instructional coach, but prior to being an instructional coach, I was an assistant principal of literacy. So I had been an assistant principal of literacy, then I was a literacy coach. And then there was, you know, the, the, some challenges in the current, in that, in that specific school that I was working in, I made the decision to resign um, mid-year, which I had never, ever done before. It was just like a huge thing for me. So I resigned mid-year because I was just like, I'm not putting myself through this. Like, this is just not, like, I love what I do. I love the people, the teachers, like, you know, you all that I was working with, but I was just like, it just wasn't something, so it just wasn't, I knew it wasn't right. And so I went back into the classroom I started doing intervention and special education, which was very new for me, but it also just like being in that space, being back in the classroom just gave me peace. It just gave me just like, okay, like I just need to focus on my students and that's it. So it gave me the, just the creative energy to really start thinking about things other than like my job 24 seven. But I started just realizing how, you know, I would have friends from different schools that I would meet. Um, and at that time, I had worked at like five different schools. And so I had met a lot of great people along the way. And many of them were Black women educators who they often wouldn't even know each other because I had met them at different schools. And sometimes we would come together, but I was had a lot of like individual relationships with people. And so we would never really come together to be able to share until I said, okay, maybe like once a month, we can just like have a meeting. We have brunch. We just talk about, well, not a meeting. I didn't call it a meeting. I just said, let's have brunch and let's just like talk about education stuff, all the things that I'm talking about to them individually. Um, so it started with that. It was just like a once a month type of conversation. And then one day I was driving down the New Jersey Turnpike. And I was like, wow, I know some amazing Black women educators and I'm learning so much from them. And they really have helped me to remain centered. So despite all the things that I had gone through and then feeling, you know, because at that time I had felt like, wow, like my career was going up and now it's going back down. That's how I perceived it in my brain by going back into the classroom, which isn't true at all, but that's how I was seeing it. But if I had them around me, 
to be able to say like, no, like, you know, this is, there's a reason for this. Like, you know, like just keeping me, keeping me positive about everything. Um, And so while I was driving down the New Jersey Turnpike, I said, you know, I would love to be able to have a conference that was completely taught by Black women educators who, though they were the facilitators, they were the ones who were teaching us the different content. Just because I had experienced PDs that just were not impactful. Um, And I knew that, you know, the people, the Black women educators that I knew, I just, I knew that they could deliver. And so, but then it was like, okay, well, I need to start a social media platform first because I, I want to have this conference, but you have to like be able to spread it out to social media. And so I had known about social media and how it worked because I had used, had another platform before that focused on um, diverse children's books. And so it really just started a, with this, like, you know, having, sharing the things that I know that needed to be said about what was happening in education, what was impacting Black women educators, um, and then being able to build up a community And so that's kind of what it started as, but it ended up really transforming into something so much more. So, you know, that was about five years ago. And there, you know, all that time I was building Black Girls Teach, I was a full-time educator. So, and I had also made the decision, I said, you know what, I'm going to stay as a teacher because that it allowed me to be able to, like, I had teaching to me just came so... I don't want to say it was easy, but it was, it just came so natural to me that it never really felt like it was like overwhelming. It just, it never felt like that. So it, it allowed me to be able to, um, you know, be in a position to build Black Girls Teach versus if I would have went back into leadership. Uh, and I purposely was like, I'm not going to go back into leadership. Um, and so Black Girls Teach now is we provide professional development to schools all around the country um, that are focused on diversity, equity, and inclusion. And so, and that's something that I see, like, there was just a gap, right? And a lot of times people hear Black Girls Teach and they think that, you know, our work, we only work with Black women educators. And our work is focused on centering Black women educators, um, centering their needs, centering their development, centering their voices, like all the things that oftentimes are not happening in schools, that's what we do. And so even when I am facilitating uh, professional development sessions, and I have a client I work with in LA, um, even when we're in LA, like in this, where the staff is, there are no Black women educators on the staff, like we're still able to center the voices of Black women as we're talking about privilege and what does it mean to truly have an inclusive classroom and things like that. Um, and the other side of our work, we also do work specifically with Black women educators as well, where we've partnered with a couple organizations to provide professional development that is really geared towards the needs and the experiences that Black women educators often have to go through that are sometimes very unique to us. Um, and then lastly, we have an empowerment circle, which is our membership community for Black women educators that centers, again, centers their personal and personal 
personal and professional development needs, but provides them with um, PDs, with them, gives them opportunities to lead PDs. We've had many members who have started off leading sessions in the empowerment circle, and then that ended up becoming a business for them. Um, so many of them have launched, you know, different careers outside of education and within education. Um, and it's really just like, it's a network, it's a community. So we have members that are hanging out, you know, in real life now versus when we were all virtual. Like we just had a trip where we went to Cancun, about 12 of us. Um, we have members that are just connecting in so many different ways. So it really, Black Girls Teach really grew to become something that I didn't really expect for it to become like this, right? And I didn't even expect that. Like we have we have a community outside of the membership community with just with social media. We have educators from all walks of life and all different identities who resonate with the page. And that to me is a powerful thing um, because it just shows like the power, the power of really like being able to use my voice and the platform, but then also like bringing in other voices and really just still centering black women, but doing it in a way where like, you know, everyone can benefit from us being intentional about centering black women. Right. It benefits everybody in a positive way, in my opinion. And so I've been able to see that through the different people that I've connected with um, through the platform. And so, yeah, that's what I would say Black Girls Teach is, you know, to summarize it. And that's just, you know, that's just a couple of things that you do, right? Like there's so much more to it. And I've really enjoyed watching the growth of Black Girls Teach. And I know I feel so empowered by you every time I listen, um, every time I watch, you know, watch your stories or your whenever you go live. And so I'm just like, gosh, just like everything about you, Deidre, I'm like, yes, preach, like say the things that I'm so afraid to say out loud or even acknowledge, you know what I'm saying? Um, And I think like the biggest thing that you saw was that community is really important, right? Absolutely. And to have the same, you know, that just that community to support you, to give you that energy, to give you um, that whole manifestation of everything you could ever want. And just being able to have a conversation with people who are very similar to you, who can relate to you. I think that that's just so important. I know I'm always constantly looking for a community that kind of represents who I am. And I love the fact that you just saw like, hey, there's a need for this this is helping me. So I know that's going to help everyone else. And you're right. Like there's so many black women educators out there that are so fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> and just like putting them together in a space. Like it's, I, it, I just love it. I love it all. Um, and it's just such a great segue too. Right. So like, as I told the listeners, like I had the, the chance with you to work with you as an instructional coach and you were really my first instructional coach. I, I'm pretty sure I shared that with you, um, Deidre. I have to be completely honest. I haven't had an instructional coach as good as you yet. Oh, thank you. That is wild to me. And that's just how much of an impact you've had on me. And so I have forever, just like ever since I met you and you are in my life, I've just tried to mimic that space that you created for me as an educator, um, as someone who works with educators all over the world, right? So like you pushed my boundaries, you celebrated my wins, and you helped me find solutions to my challenges. And so thank you so much for that. I do want to say just like, I'm seriously forever grateful for your impact on my education journey. Um, and so with that being said, like, how did you create or how did you know to create such a supportive space for teachers that you work with? Because this was before Black Girls Teach, right? And so 
how did you how did you do that? Because like I am still blown at just like how comfortable I was being called in by you, how I just appreciated you being like, hey, like, okay, let's talk about what you did. And then let's talk about what other things we could do. And I just felt really comfortable and never attacked. And I know that like my other colleague, Paula, Paula and I still talk about you till this day. (laughs) So what did you do? What's your magic, Deidre? (laughs) I mean, I think for me, you know, before I went into coaching, I really like pushed myself to learn as much as possible about just the art of coaching. Um, So that was, so I didn't go into the position having no experience or minimal experience. And I think sometimes people go into coaching positions without actually having, um, developing their coaching expertise. A lot of times we're developing it on the job. And so for me, that wasn't the case. So, you know, I had experiences where um, I was constantly really trying to sharpen that area, but I really lead with authenticity. You know, I make it a point to be just very transparent and be myself and, I think that allows other people to feel, you know, feel comfortable with doing the same Um, and knowing, like, to me, it was really important that before we just dive right into all the different elements of coaching, like, I really want to be able to, um, I want, you know, you got to build trust, you got to build relationships, just like with students, sometimes you have to, like, allow, allow the folks that you're working with to, like, really, you know, get to know you, sharing things about yourself and just opening it up with that and just like building that relationship um, was really important to me. Um, I also, I would say too, I had a really strong coach who was coaching me during that time um, at that the school that we were at. He was just like super, he was the coach that I wish I had when I was a teacher, but you know, he was really able to just like take our coaching to the next level. Cause even one of the, one of the coaches that I worked with during that time, she was in the high school and she actually was a part of just helping to um, form the foundation of black girls teach. And we're still like close to this day. Um, And, you know, we often talk about that experience and how he would just like push us in terms of just like, how can we really develop being a coach? So I think it's that, but I'm also a very good, I can read people very well. So if someone is, and I don't know if it's like being an empath, you know, but I think when someone is feeling a certain type of way, I can easily sense it. And I think sometimes, you know, we will be so focused on, I have an agenda. I have these things. I have to get through this, all these points. But then if someone's not happy, like that's what is most important. You know, if there's something going on, that's what's most important to be able to deal with and unpack. And again, as your coach, that doesn't mean I'm telling you what to do. That means I'm helping you to be able to unpack this issue and come up with a solution because I'm not just your coach in the classroom. Like I'm your coach period. So like, I'm going to, I can help you with instructional moves, but I also want to be able to help you with how to navigate relationships with people or how to be able to be, um, navigate your time and things like that. Like, that's what I see a coach as. And I don't think, I don't think every coach thinks about it in that way. A lot of times we become so focused on the data and, you know, all of these things that are indicators and yes, they're indicators for success, but there are other indicators for success that we need to be in tune with as well. And so 
really just leading from an authentic place um, and then taking my job really seriously. Like that's, I, I'd love, I always tell people like, if I go back into a school-based position, it would, to, it would be, I would be um, a literacy coach again, because I love, I love, actually love being a literacy coach. Um, it was something that I could see, I could have saw myself do for a very long period of time. And even now, like I still, cause I do coaching now, but like in a different, different with a different um, capacity, but like, I'm still using a lot of those skills because it's just something that I love, but all of it, I would also say too, it comes it comes natural to me, right? And so, like, I think I'm naturally, um, I'm like a coach at heart. And so, like, I naturally want to see people win. And so, if that means I need to help set you up for success without like telling you every little thing to do, helping you to think through things, helping you to ask questions, helping you to just like really be reflective, then that makes me feel like, okay, I'm, I'm doing my job. I just love everything that you said. Um, I, <laughs> I'm just over here like nodding my head and saying yes. Um, I think, like you said, authenticity is really important. And and you're right. I think that was why I felt so comfortable with you is because you just showed up as yourself and you weren't trying to one up me or trying to like tell me what to do. And so I just felt like it was a real partnership. And so now like moving forward, because I am working with teachers all over, right? I try to do the same. And I think, again, maybe you had that impact on me of just like showing up as myself, um, showing up the best way that I can um, at that moment. And so, yes, and I completely agree about being an empath. Sometimes I'm just like, can I just turn it off? <laughs> right. <laughs> And like, keep it moving. Like, can we just stick to the agenda? But you're right. You know, like when people don't show up in their best way, nothing's going to get done. So we might as well just have that conversation and give time and space for those feelings. Um, and then and then keep it moving. Right. But I think like that's my that's my focus has been like, hey, let's show up as ourselves. Let's have this conversation just to kind of really see how we're feeling today. And then we can move forward. And I think like, you know, in modern classroom, that's like a big thing for us is like we do our daily check-ins with students to see how they're showing up. And I think it's also really nice that we're talking about adults because what we're doing with students, we also kind of need to do with adults as well, right? Like let's check in with our adults. Like our teachers are really important. And if they're not doing well, they're not going to be able to like do well in the classroom. And so I, I just, you are natural, <laughs> Deidre. Like it's amazing just being able to watch you. Um, and even though it's been like years since we've been in the same physical space, I've just, again, continued to learn from you. Um, and I think that's another good point is that you had a coach that was coaching you. So just because you are in a leadership position doesn't mean that you don't need anybody else's mentorship, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. I always tell people like coaches need coaches. So if your coach doesn't have a coach, then then something something's wrong with that. <laughs> like coaches need coaches. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think that just shows like our learning continues regardless of where we are. Absolutely. Uh, so whenever I'm in a room full of BIPOC teachers or really when I come across a BIPOC educator, Deidre, I get so excited because again, like we both know majority of our teachers are white, right? 
And so it's really nice to just be able to be like, oh my gosh, here's another BIPOC teacher. Um, and I just love, again, I've said this multiple times that everything you're doing is geared for Black women in education, really centering those voices, those experiences. Um, and, and so like, I remember you getting so frustrated with the gaps in education. Um, and I know for me, I sometimes struggle with using my anger and frustrations to create change. And you did just that. So, and I also just want to name the fact that like change is challenging and it's difficult and sometimes really exhausting. And sometimes it like adds on to your anger and frustration, right? So tell us more about that process for you of how you used your anger and your frustrations to create change. Yeah, that's a great question. Cause as I think about, you know, I remember when I left, um, working the role that I was working with you at and went into another school organization, I remember, you know, there would be times where I was like, okay, initially I went in, I was like, okay, everything's good. Everything's really great. But then I started to see the same things that were happening. And that was always such like a, like, that would be, because at this point I had worked at five, six different schools. And, you know, when you get to a point of working at those many schools, and now I'm like 10 years into education, and I'm seeing the same things, you know, I would typically, like the students that I would teach were typically um, Black students. And so I would see a lot of these things impacting the Black students that I was teaching. And that was very difficult to be able to see because I'm like, who is like, who's advocating for our students? There are oftentimes they're not in the meetings where we're talking about these different initiatives and these different, you know, things that were decided for some arbitrary reason, they're not being invited into those conversations, um, not at the school that I was at. And if I felt like it was just my duty to be able to speak up and say something, even if that meant people didn't like me, even if it meant now you weren't going to offer me the opportunity to lead this committee or if you now had personal feelings like you just didn't you know you just felt some type of way about me i just didn't care about all that because at the end of the day it was just like i'm doing i'm doing what's best for children and so but there was a point where things started to feel extremely overwhelming and i remember one of my friends said like you know seems like you're just always fighting like aren't you just tired of fighting and I was like, yeah, I am tired. And so I did have to take a moment where I had to just step back a little bit because I felt like every time there was an issue, people would look to me to be able to speak up and say something about it. And I started holding, I started wanting other people to do the same. And so I stepped back a little bit, but then I kind of like started saying, holding other folks accountable where it's like, you know, somebody, if I would say something in a meeting, and somebody would come up to me and say, oh, thank you so much. I would say, well, I don't, you know, you know, I appreciate you saying thank you, but like you need to do the same, right? Because I was in that meeting and I was the only one saying something. So you coming to me after the meeting is not really helpful. Like there is power in our voices coming together. So I started doing that. And I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure people really felt some type of way about that. But it was like, I'm going to hold you accountable because if we all have these issues, um, with what's happening in this school building or what's happening in education. And a lot of times it wasn't like through the Black Girls Teach platform, I speak about things like that could be impacting any school. But a lot of the things that I was speaking about were things that I had experienced myself and seen myself. So it was very personal. It was very, very personal. And it was just like, you know, if we're not saying anything, it's kind of like, to me, it's like we're sitting 
in our comfort and our privilege where we can say like, oh, I'm not going to say anything because I want to I want to hold on to my comfort. I want to hold on to this. I want to hold on to that. And I got to a point where it was just like, listen, what's what's for me is for me. And if me saying how this meeting right now is just not meeting the needs of our students or if me saying this policy is just not okay if me saying like you know we really need to rethink how we're rewarding things like perfect attendance and all these different things if that is making someone feel like they want to fire me or they want they don't want me to or they think I'm a bad person like then so be it and that's the point that I started to feel like I was just like so be it like that's fine you know, and I started also having the mentality where I'm like, I'm the asset. Like, I'm, I'm a great teacher. Like, I can get a job in a second. So if that's the reason why you want to let me go for speaking up and being an advocate, then that's just what it is. And so for me, it became having kind of having that mentality, having that confidence, like knowing like, okay. I need to say what needs to be said because I'm no longer waiting on other people to say it. Like I will say it. I will say what needs to be said. And, and that's just kind of what I did. Like whether it is in person in a school or whether it was through my platform, black girls teach, um, that is what I've done. And I do think that as I've gotten older, like we've had this platform now for about almost six years. And I feel like I have like kind of, I've calmed down a little bit in terms of like my anger and like calling things out because now I just think about things more strategically because I'm like, okay, I don't want to just call things out unless I can really help people think through solutions or if I can use, you know, my organization to provide certain solutions. But then there are moments where I'm like, no, this just needs to be called out. (laughs) And you guys, I I trust that, that my community will take the information and be able to, you know, internalize it and, and, and continue, continue voicing these things. I think that we're in a place in education where more educators are feeling compelled to do that. But I think that when I first started Black Rose Teach, it wasn't a lot of people who were really honest about what was happening. And, um, you know, I think I'm, it's good to know we're in a better place in education where, we can be more honest about what's happening. And I think that has led more educators to try to come up with solutions and try to be the change. Um, Because sometimes you need somebody to do it first. Sometimes you need to see somebody else do it so you can feel a little bit more comfortable with um, being able to to do that as well. And that's, and that's what I always hoped and to be able to be that person for other people. Yeah. And I, I love that. Right. I know for me, I definitely need a model before I try to do it myself um, because I, I mess up a lot. And I think um, I've allowed my anger and my emotions take control of actually having like an eff- effective conversation with people. Right. Yeah. And I was at that point too, like you said, right? Like I was tired of fighting. I just didn't want to be the only person that was always advocating. Um, And like you said, you know, people would just turn to you. That was kind of how I was feeling as well. And so I just would simmer in my anger and frustrations, right? Um, And I I really liked that you were like, no, I'm going to hold other people accountable. Like, thank you for telling me. Thank you. Also, you need to do this. (laughs) What I've realized is that there are certain skill sets that, I've learned that I have to kind of teach. So when I think about like the work that I do, 
for just educators who are, you know, who want to become change makers, who want to become advocates, to me, then that means that there are certain skills that I that that we teach them, right? So now it's not a matter of I don't just hold the expectation for folks to speak up. Like I know that I need to be able to. So we teach um, master classes on like different types of communication, assertive communication, what to do when somebody calls you aggressive. Like we talk, we, we teach strategic skills, but then we also balance it with like, okay, let's talk, let's have a scenario. You speak up at a meeting and someone says, I feel attacked. What are we saying? How are we responding? Like, how do we know when I need to take a break? How do I know when I need to like reset? So it's like through all these types of situations that I have been in, I've realized that there's skills that we could be teaching in professional learning to educators so that they feel more equipped to be able to, you know, speak up and say something. Yeah. I mean, it was also just a, such a nice reminder to hear you. I'm the asset, right? Like, <laughs> yes. I am an expert at what I do. I know things. And so for me to advocate for students, and then for you to not like it, like, oh, well. Right. Right. <laughs> um, and I think I need to have that on a post-it note where I see that every single day because you're right. Like, I am the asset. Teachers are the asset. Like, te- our teachers know what they're doing. Um, Absolutely. But, and at the same time, it is so difficult to speak up, right, to go against the grain, to go against, like, the majority. Um, but knowing and feeling that, like, hey, what's happening doesn't feel good. So something needs to change and someone needs to say something. And I think, Deidre, like you were saying, you know, you were getting tired of being the only one that was advocating. But now you're like, no, I'm going to continue to say something. How do you take those emotions out? Because I know sometimes I'm like, yes, I'm going to say something. And then like I ruminate on it and I'm like, oh, my gosh, (laughs) what is happening? Maybe I could have said that differently. Like it's so emotionally draining for me to speak up. Um, How did you... I guess, like take the emotions out. I mean, you don't have to take the emotions out, but how did you regulate that? I think it was, you know, sometimes I would speak up and it wasn't that I would expect immediate change because I know enough about human nature to know that like, okay, when I say this, this is most likely how they're going to respond. So it's not even just human nature. It's also just having so much experience like in these types of situations. So I know when I say this, Someone's going to get tense. Someone's going to probably lean back a little bit. Someone's probably going to get defensive. So to me, I'm not worried about how you respond because I already know like there are typical ways that you're most likely going to respond. I'm just, I want to say what needs to be said and I'm getting it out and I can offer a couple solutions. I can offer myself as a resource and that's all that I can do. Right. But like, I don't go into it expecting um, everyone to immediately say, hey, yes, okay, that's a great idea. Thank you for saying that. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. Because that just hasn't been what I have experienced. And and I do sometimes, and this is what I talk about with like in Black Girls Teach, where I know that who how I show up as a Black woman um, in certain spaces um, who is speaking in a confident and assertive way. I know that can impact how someone receives whatever it is that I'm saying. So being aware of that, being aware of the impact of my voice, it just also allows me to just be like, I'm saying this uh, because no one else is going to say it. And, you know, you can do what you want to do with this information. I'm happy to 
give you some next steps and be a part of that process. But if you're not ready for that, that, but that's fine. But I can't leave this room unless I say this. And I've also learned how to be able to give people a pre-warning. This is something that I, I teach some of the, because um, we work with some early career educators. And I always say, tell them, like, when you know you're about to say something that you're very passionate about, sometimes you say, like, hey, before I say this, I just want to name that I'm a person. I get very passionate about specific topics. I talk with my hands. I, my voice may get louder. And I really want to name that because I'm really passionate about what I'm about to say. And I don't want you, I don't want you to start saying that I'm being aggressive or I'm being this or I'm being that or I'm being angry. I just want you to know that it's straight up passion. Okay. And then I say what I need to say because I've already named the elephant. I've already named everything that I know y'all about to do. So I'm kind of like giving you like, yep, I'm going to be passionate. I'm, my voice might get loud. My hands might move. You might even think I'm being aggressive, but I need you to hear, like, I need you really to hear what it is that I'm saying instead of focusing on all those other things. And that's where, you know, when we talk about like the DEI work that we do with schools, often we're talking about how those other things, which sometimes are cultural things, like a lot of times we allow that to be, um, to get in the way of what the message really is, where it's just like, nope, I'm just somebody, I'm a cold switch, I'm going to talk with my hands, I'm going to be a little bit loud, like that's how I show up, and but that doesn't take away from anything that I'm saying, and so sometimes you just have to name that. Oh, oh, this is so good. I'm taking notes because I'm going to start implementing it in my life, not just in my work. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's a game changer. Yeah. And I think that's that's the thing, right? Like I speak up, but then I still have an expectation of what people's reaction should be. When really it's just like, no, I'm going to speak out. I'm going to advocate. I'm going to say something. And then how you take it, that's on you. Right. Right. Deidre, like naming the elephant in the room or whatever, like that's so important too that I didn't even, that it just clicked as you were saying, like, yes, you're right. Like here, we're going to go ahead and name it just so that that doesn't distract you from what I'm actually saying. Right, right. Because people, it will help them to immediately notice their own biases, yeah. right? And those things that they, because if you're used to, again, like culturally, I know that there are certain things that I show up because of like parts of my identity, like they're just going to show up and I'm not going to try to hide those things anymore. Like I'm not, like, I'm not going to try to hide like things about myself that like are part of who I am for other people's comfort. And so, but I recognize that I may be in spaces where people may not be used to like someone like myself. So I just want to name these things first so that we can just like let that sit there for a second before I say what I'm about to say. That's so good. I mean, it makes me think about like the identity work that we have to do ourselves. Um, just really knowing what our core values are, knowing like what we stand for, who we really are before we show up for anybody else, honestly. Um, you are naming everything, all the challenges and just advocating for our students, which is really great. I know we've mentioned, I mentioned already that majority of teachers now are just white women, which let's talk about it, right? So um, modern classroom, we talk about creating equitable learning 
and teaching spaces for all students. And I also want to talk more about creating equitable learning and teaching spaces for teachers. So how can our white colleagues or really anybody better support and advocate for their colleagues of color, for students of color? Um, Really answer however you think. Yeah, I think that, you know, a big thing that is really key is being an active listener. And so that might be just like being an active listener, but also creating spaces to be able to listen to um, the teachers of color in your, or the colleagues of color, I should say, in your building. So it's like, and a, a big part of that sometimes first falls on the leader, the school leader. But if as a teacher you're seeing, or a staff member, you're seeing that certain things are not happening. Like I, I noticed that, you know, this teacher, um, they were there, they were being interrupted during a meeting or they were, you know, being talked over or they were being called like these different terms because they spoke up about something. Then I need us to start like recognizing that and being okay with like naming that, right? And, and saying like going to your leader or going to your coach or whomever uh, is in the position to be able to make decisions and saying like, hey, oh, I want to be able, we should, how are we creating more spaces to be able to listen to our colleagues of color? Um, but then also you doing it yourself, right? You actually taking the time to listen to your colleagues of color without judgment, like active listening without thinking about what you're going to say, without proving, you know, that you're not this type of person, like really just being an active listener. I think those things are really, really important. And I think it doesn't happen a lot. Um, I would also, because it's like a lot of times these dynamics happen in small settings, like where we're interacting with our colleagues. So whether it's a meeting or we're in the teacher's lounge or we're just quickly checking in, um, sometimes just like really following up with someone and just saying, hey, I noticed this happened. Like, are you, how are you feeling? You know, like just noticing those things. And if the person's saying, oh, okay, like, no, that was fine. Like, no, no problem. Then, okay. But like, us just being, just trying to notice things a bit more instead of just being in our own little world, in our own bubble, um, like really, really just taking the time to just be a little bit more aware of what's happening. And I, I, I appreciate leaders who create the conditions for that in their professional development sessions and their staff meeting where they're creating the conditions where there is psychological safety where people feel like they can give feedback. People feel like they can share. People feel like they can, you know, go to someone and express a concern. Like I appreciate when we have leaders that are doing those types of things. But I think that like um, in terms of colleagues, it's just like really being active listeners and then also just having um, stepping up our awareness. Uh, Those will be the two things I would say. Yeah, I mean, now I'm reflecting, right? So like at my previous uh, school, I had a white male supervisor and I love the way that he approached conversations with me. Um, he would, like you said, active, actively listen to what I was saying. Never judgment. It was always out of humility, out of curiosity. Um, and he would always end it with, what can I do? 
to support you? What can I like? How can I use my white male voice <laughs> to elevate you? And I was like, huh, I've never actually had that question before. And I really appreciate it. So it was kind of like a permission to speak for you, but also knowing that like, hey, I'm asking you first what you need and what I, you know, and, and I'm not assuming and thinking about what what I think you need as opposed to just like asking you first. Um, and so I think that that question is really important, right? Like, what can I do to support you will be a really good one. I know that like, how are you feeling is a great um, question as well. Um, tell me more is open-ended. So there's no assumptions because I think sometimes too, Deidre, when I have conversations with white colleagues, there are questions that of course, like there's no intent of harm, right? Um, but then it was like, wait a minute, that question was full of assumptions. Even like, you know, working in DC, like I've had questions of like, what are you from some of our white teachers? And I'm like, what do you, <laughs> what do you mean? And it was just that curiosity of like, oh, like, I want to know more about your upbringing, like where you grew up. But the question was just so problematic, um, but they just had no idea. Right. And so I think it was just like one of those things of like, hey, like an, an open ended question would work more. Right. Like, hey, tell me more about this. Tell me more about that, as opposed to just being like, hey, what are you? Where are you from? <laughs> I hate that question. It's the worst. <laughs> um, but yeah, like I I love the active listening. I think that's a skill that definitely needs to be taught um, and a skill that needs to be practiced over and over and over again, because I definitely still have to work on my active listening. Um you know, something that I read was like, if you are having a conversation with someone and you already have in your mind what you're going to say back, you're not actually listening. Um, and I was like, oh, OK, so I'm not actually listening because I always have a comeback. <laughs> um, so and I just love the, the self-awareness part, too. And I think that's really difficult sometimes, you know, because when we become more self-aware, we realize how some of our past behaviors and our thoughts and our actions, right, are really not okay. Um, and I've had to do a lot of that work. And even like the Facebook memories that pop up <laughs> of like the statuses I used to put like 10, 12, 15 years ago, I was like, oh my gosh, who am, who was I? Like, that is not okay. And so I think it's okay to sit in that discomfort. And I think that's another thing that people yes. need to continue working on and practicing. Um, all right. Well, thank you for that. That's great. So what are two to three things that admin or really any school leader can do to support and retain our Black women or BIPOC educators? This is such a big question, um, I feel like, because this, the different schools that I've worked at, we've had problems with retaining BIPOC educators. So what can school leaders do or school systems or school districts or whatever? What do you think we can do to retain our BIPOC teachers? I think that school leaders specifically would benefit from professional development in the area of just being able to accept feedback and uh, being able to create cultures of psychological safety. And so basically when I talk about psychological safety, because um, this is something that we we will work with leaders on, creating environments of psychological safety are is basically when you are creating an environment where people feel like it's safe to be able to give feedback, to be able to give critique, to be able to um, fail, to be able to make mistakes. Like it is safe to do that versus an environment where it's not safe, 
where now my job is on the line. Um, and I would I say this in terms of like the retention of black women educators, because I have found that many of the educated the black women that I've worked with have been very, you know, vocal about certain things and have received like the negativity or repercussions from that. Right. And so if we're creating an environment where it is safe to be able to give feedback and we are as a leader, we're accepting the feedback and we're not taking it personally, um, then I do think that that is going to really be able to benefit all staff members. But in particular, I think about, you know, the black women educators who a lot of times people are looking to us to be the, the, the loudest voice or the strongest voice in the room. And I think that, but, but then we're also the people that experience the, the consequences of that. So if leaders themselves were actually getting training on how to be able to do that, I think that would be really, really beneficial. Um, another thing that I would say that would be able to support just BIPOC ed- educators specifically is when we talk about DEI work, diversity, equity, inclusion work, you know, it looks different in many different spaces. But what I have seen it look like is very white centered, very focused on white enlightenment and white whites understanding, you know, different things. And all of that is essential, right? But there are certain things that, like, I know for me as a Black educator, there are things that I need to unpack, right? And so, like, colorism is one of those things. Like, there's just things that are happening within the Black community that needs to be focused on in that DEI work, too. And so I think when we try to have DEI work that is a one size fits all. And I think I think a lot of times organizations and schools do it because it, it, it is it's a lot of work to be able to create a DEI work that is DEI um, professional development that's geared towards like different specific identities and things like that, right? And like affinity groups and but if we're really serious about doing this type of work and really trying to retain our um BIPOC educators, then we should really be thinking more intentionally about the type of professional learning that we are providing them. And while there's going to be some professional learning that is for everyone, I think I don't I, I don't think that it is a bad thing to be able to offer the option where if someone no longer wants to attend this session on white privilege and they identify as a black educator. Right. And they and they say, like, you know, what? I want to opt out of this session on white privilege. And instead, I want to go to this session on light skin privilege. Like I want to send I want to attend this session on colorism and how it showed up in the black community or how it showed up in other communities. Like I want to be able to have that option. And so when I think about the type of DEI work that I would love to because we do this in, in small pockets, because I find that. Schools are very focused on like, we want everybody to get the same thing and we want everybody to have this and all that, all that stuff that I keep telling them is like, that's just not, that doesn't make sense. Um, But a couple of the organizations that we are working with where we're able to say like, everybody doesn't need this. Some people are going to need something different and that's okay. So maybe number one, we have to listen to people. We have to listen and, and actually hear what it is that 
they are identifying um, that they need, especially when it comes to BIPOC educators, like how are we creating spaces, continuous spaces where we're listening to them and not just in a survey, but actually like really like we're sitting in front of you and, you know, we're listening to what you're saying, but then what are we doing with that information? What does that mean for our professional development? What does that mean for our coaching? What does that mean for dot, dot, dot? And sometimes I think organizations have to get over the fear that I think some of them have of putting their uh, BIPOC educators in a room together or their Black educators in a room together to be able to, like, for whatever it is. I think some organizations are afraid of that. And instead of being afraid, we have to think about the fact of like, okay, we're doing this because we're listening. We're doing this because we want to be able to create change. We're doing this because we have a teacher retention issue and not doing this is avoiding the problem. So to kind of summarize, I would say like really being intentional about the type of DEI work that we are doing, um, leaders getting specific professional development around just being able to create psychological safety and cultures of feedback. And then also like really just how are we, how are we creating opportunities to really be able to listen to the educators of color or the BIPOC educators how are we creating spaces to listen to them? And then what are we actually doing with that information? So if we are listening to them, but now everybody that's listening is, is predominantly white, and now we're not even able to really hear it the way we need to, that might mean, well, maybe we need to outsource this. Maybe we need a consultant to come in because we we are getting this information, but we're still, our biases are not allowing us to really be able to hear it the way it needs to be heard. So maybe, maybe now we need to bring in some, we need to outsource this. So it's like, I think, I think that those would be the, the areas that I would say schools and those are, those are big areas. So sometimes it's just a school saying, we're just going to focus on one of those for this school year, right? Or we're going to just focus on one of those things. And then next year, we're going to add another one. But like schools have to do something about it. You can't just not do anything at all. My mind is full of like ideas right now, Deidre, because you just pointed out so many great things. I know as a someone who creates professional development, right? I've realized, especially when it comes to DEI, that when I do create PD, it's very white centered because I am like, oh my gosh, how am I going to make everyone comfortable when that's not the case? And now I have to shift some gears. And so this is great. And I think, you know, when you're talking about school leaders and um, accepting and acknowledging their biases, I think, you know, it goes back to being aware of those biases. Because I think sometimes, you know, people do avoid it. And people just say, no, I'm a good person. I don't have any biases. And it's like, girl, everyone has biases. (laughs) Um, And I think just like, again, acknowledging the fact that like, oh, I'm not hearing this the way that is intended to be heard. So I definitely need to step out of my box and ask for support. And that's okay to ask for support. Doesn't mean that you're a bad person. It doesn't mean that you're weak or it doesn't mean that like you just don't know your your stuff. Um, it just means that like you're aware, like you're aware enough to know that you need support. Uh, 
And I think that that's really important. I mean, the psychological safety of teachers is really important. I know like when I read education um, articles, it's all about like that psychological safety for students as well. And sometimes we don't think about teachers and, and it's really, it's really important and great that you acknowledge that. Um, and just being able to create spaces where people can be open and authentically themselves without repercussions. I think that's also really, really important because sometimes, you know, I, I speak with some of my black colleagues, like my the teachers that I've worked with, they're like, oh, like, I don't feel comfortable saying that. Like, oh, but like, I've already said that. I'm tired of saying it again. And um, and so it's just, it's really important to create that space of, you know, feedback of um, making mistakes, like it's okay to make mistakes. And I know, like in our previous episode for the podcast, um, Matt was talking about, you know, creating a space where teachers can fail and still be celebrated. Mm -hmm. Failure is part of our life, (laughs) whether we like it or not. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So, okay. um, How can our listeners connect with you, Deidre? I mean, you're dropping gems. I'm sure like everyone's going to be like, ah, how can we continue this conversation? Yeah. I mean, they can definitely follow me on Instagram. Um, Black Girls Teach is the handle. I'm also on Twitter. I'm not as active on Twitter, Twitter, but (laughs) Instagram is my jam. I have my own personal page. It's called Teach Me D. Um, So that's another place. And I work with educators that are really like really wanting to um, channel that anger and that frustration and that need to be able to create change into educational entrepreneurship. And so I help educators to really be able to leverage social media, as well as being able to give them the tools to successfully launch an education-focused business uh, so that they actually can be the change. Um, and so that is, so that's on Teach Me D. And then, of course, they can head to our website, blackgirlsteach.com, to be able to learn more about some of the different services we have, like our Empowerment Circle, which is our membership community for Black women educators, but as well as our consulting services that we offer to schools. Um, We work with schools and organizations, teacher organizations around the country to be able to provide them uh, with professional development and coaching as well. And we occasionally will have master classes that will be open to just any teacher or staff member that wants to sign up and really push their push their development and to really take their development into their own hands if they're feeling like, okay, I just need something more than what I'm currently being provided um, at my school or my program that I'm in or anything. We, we provide additional uh, different types of professional development sessions uh, for teachers or staff members on a quarterly basis. So I would say those are the best places to find me on Instagram or just heading to our website. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Deidre, for your expertise and experiences and just your authenticity and just showing up. Um, I always learn so much from you. And so I'm definitely going to start implementing the lessons that I learned from you like today. And so (laughs) you just made my life so much better, Deidre. I don't think you understand. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So listeners, remember, you can always email us at podcast at modernclassrooms.org. And you can find the show notes for this episode at podcast.modernclassrooms.org slash 99. We'll have this episode's recap and transcript uploaded to the Modern Classrooms blog on Friday, so be sure to check there or check back in the show notes for this episode if you'd like to access those. Thank you all for listening. Have a great week, and we'll be back next Sunday. Bye.
Thank you so much for listening. You can find links to topics and tools we discussed in our show notes for this episode. And remember, you can learn more about our work at www.modernclassrooms.org and you can learn the essentials of our model through our free course at learn.modernclassrooms.org. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Modern Class Proj, that's P-R-O-J. We are so appreciative of all you do for students in schools. Have a great week, and we'll be back next Sunday with another episode of the Modern Classrooms Project podcast. Podcast.